Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Our scripture today is from Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life, and you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks, babe. All right. Uh, Kiddos. We have Elevate this morning for first and second grade, and that's it, right? All right, so everybody else is staying in here. All right, so if uh, we'll clear out a couple of seats at least. Uh, I am really glad you're here, and I, uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, we are near the end of our sermon series on Deuteronomy. Calm down. I know you're really excited about that. Like, you know, what I was really wanting to do uh, was to hear more of Deuteronomy. Um, so I'm glad that you're here. This is actually a good, uh, this, this uh, closing here in Deuteronomy is good. And I love that I, um, when, when I was in seminary, my, our uh, professor, our professor, our pastor in seminary, when we, he did baby dedication, like it was full out Simba. Like he would carry the baby up like this. And I was like, never, I will never do that. Um, now, if they had, like, teenager dedication, I'd grab a kid, you know, by the back of his, and we'd go up and down the aisle, and I'd parade him around everywhere. Uh, but we don't do that. All right, so to start this morning, I'm going to ask everybody to take out your phone. I see, I almost threw my phone. Uh, never do that with a child. Take your phone out. Everybody got your phone? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some instructions to do. So this is participation. And if you're like, you know what, I don't bring my phone into the worship gathering, Good for you. Right, so everybody's got their phones out. All right, here's what I want you to do. Uh, Turn on your flashlight. You can hold it up if you want. We're not going to do a thing. All right. Uh, Now, um, take a picture. Take a picture of anything you want. Somebody next to you, your own face, uh, however you want to do that. I should have taken this first where I could have taken a picture of everybody with their flashlights. Okay. Oh, and don't forget to turn your flashlight off. So it's not doing that the rest. If if you need to help your neighbor, 
Mom, do you need help? Did you get the flashlight off? Okay. Um, now take a screenshot. Go to your home page. Go to the, the home, home setting, home screen, home screen, and take a and take a screenshot. All right. Now this next part's gonna be fun. Turn your sound on, and we're gonna remember to turn it back off. But turn your sound on, and I want you to send a text to somebody in this room uh, that says. You can say you are loved, or Jesus loves you, or however you want to do that, uh, or Deuteronomy 15, uh, chapter 30, 15 through 20, if you want to do that. Send a text and do it. I want, to hear, I want to hear some alarms going off. I just got a text. Thank you, honey. You hearing the beeps and everything? There we go, there we go. Somebody's getting texting like my son does. <laughs> One line per text. All right. That is my son, I have, think. <laughs> All right. Uh, last thing we're going to do, uh, go ahead and turn your sound back off. Cooper, don't make me yell at you in front of everybody. Okay. Oh, it's Knox. Knox. Okay. I should have thought about my own kids here. Um, all right. Next thing I want you to do, you turn your phone, uh, turn, turn it back on, uh, on that. Go to your music app, or if you don't have a music app, uh, you can go to, um, uh, you can go to YouTube, maybe. And I want you to Look up Careless Whisper by George Michael. And when you find it, play it loud. This is beautiful. This takes the sting out of Deuteronomy, right? All right. Now, everybody, everybody go ahead and turn it off. All right, put your phone back on silent. Holster the sidearm. All right, everybody put it, put it back in the pocket or, or uh, wherever you keep it. All right, let me ask you a question. How many of you are in complete awe of what you, nay, we just did? Do you realize what we did? Do you realize how many devices you used to have to carry to do what we just did? Anybody in awe of that? It's amazing. It's amazing. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not as in awe of it now, right? Because we know how to do these. You press a button, and this happens. You take a screenshot. You do it quickly. And if it doesn't do it immediately, you get really angry. Right? Uh, I have an old iPad, and I like, to, I like to play a game on my old iPad. And it's Sudoku, and I am lame. And it's fine. Uh, but sometimes when it's turned a certain way, the, it, the touch screen doesn't work really well for Sudoku. And I get furious. And so, you know, you think, well, then I just really need to pound it hard. And that doesn't work either. And 
I am rarely, rarely amazed at what my phone does. I used to walk around with my iPad thinking, like, I should be able to, like, control the world with this thing, right? Just, and, like, see things happen. I yell at a computer to turn our lights on in our kitchen. And, and, and I'm, rarely, uh, I'm rarely amazed anymore. We have come to expect, maybe even demand, and not really with much joy or eager anticipation, um, that this will happen. And, and maybe at first we're a little excited, but it quickly just becomes a demand. Do what I, you are programmed to do. Um, and I want to give this example. I want this to kind of stick in your mind, what we just did, and, and, and the relationship we have with our phone. Um, mostly because it is, it is the default setting of our minds, I think. It's always in our head. It's the default setting of our minds that this is the way relationships work. Right? I do this, and therefore, you do this. Transactions. You get a certain result when you push a certain button. When you learn a shortcut, even better. When you don't have to go into settings. Um, and though this is the way that our relationships work with our phone, and with technology, and sometimes like with a car, uh, this is not the way that God's relationship with his people works. And this is not the way that God's people's relationship with God works. And, and it's easy, it's easier than I think we get, how, like just how easy it is to slip back into this default mode of thinking. Um, and so as we finish up, last week Joel did a phenomenal job of breaking down the blessings and the curses, and we're going to kind of continue with that thought this week. Uh, and so I want you to keep that in your mind. And I, uh, I want you to keep your phone in your mind as, uh, with the relationship that we have with our phones, um, because this is what we tend to default to in thinking about our relationship with God and with each other. Um, and it's how we default, we can tend to default in our reading of Scripture. Uh, and it's going to take a constant awareness, a reawakening, a practice, a steady practice to not think this way when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our relationship with one another. So this morning, we are almost done. We're almost done with Deuteronomy. Now, you might be thinking, oh, thank you. Uh, but we've actually gone pretty quickly. We're on chapters 29 and 30 today. We'll give it an overview. We've gone pretty quickly. Uh, we'll wrap it up next week. Uh, this morning in 29 and 30, Moses recasts this vision of God's covenant, calls people anew, reminds them one more time of God's faithfulness and what he has already done. Uh, and then this, this big call uh, to uh, what is before them in life or death and then Moses is going to hand over the reins to Joshua, and he's going to climb up a hill. We'll look at this next week and look over into the promised land and then offer a prayer and then go to be buried with his fathers. So this morning, we'll start at the end of, of chapter 30, what, what, um, what Allison read this morning, and then we're going to go back uh, a little bit into 29 and earlier in 30. Uh, and so the basic outline this morning is we're going to start at the end. We're going to start at this choice that 
that Moses puts before the people. Um, and then we're going to go back to earlier in 29 of this is how that's going to go. Moses makes an amazing uh, prediction or prophecy about the way that God's people will go. And then we're going to look at our hope. And then we're going to finish with how do we practice this choice that Moses sets out before us. So I'm not going to reread the whole thing uh, for the sake of time. But if you, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, this is, Moses basically says, uh, From the Lord, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord, walking in His ways, keeping His commandments and statutes and rules, you'll live and multiply. And God will bless you. But if your heart turns away, and if you do not hear and will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, then I declare to you today you will perish. You will not live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. All right? Moses, give it to me straight, man. Right? What, exactly what are you saying here? Like, this is as, as straightforward as the Bible gets. Now, trust me, we're going to get to nuance, and it's, a little always, it's always a little more complex. But, but this is pretty straightforward. Do this and live. Don't do this and perish. Um, Moses has recounted for God's people many, many times what God has done. Uh, he has gone through the law one more time. Deuteronomy is kind of the first commentary on the, on the Bible. It's Moses' commentary on the law, and he's giving it to his people one more time. Uh, he has recounted again and stated pretty straightforward, these are the blessings, these are the curses. Trust and obey God and live. There's life to be had in the land that God is giving you. Or option number two, disobey, turn away from God, and experience the same destruction and judgment that the nations are about to receive, that you're going in to, to take. And then as soon as that happens, question God and ask him, why in the world? Why have you let this happen to me? So Moses is given a preemptive, right? Uh, if, if you are here and you are a parent or you've ever been the child of a parent, you've heard this. I'm going to tell you preemptively. Um, a few years ago, I was driving down Zumbel, right by the police station, where right before it turns to Frieden's, uh, when you sit at that light for 30 minutes. Uh, and I, I, uh, I had been thinking about this conversation that I was having with somebody on why do bad things happen to people. Like I, the, uh, and the person, and I don't even remember who it was, but I just remember thinking about this conversation. You know, I've, I've, I've been faithful, I've done these things, why do these things happen? Why are things bad? And then... As I was thinking and driving, and I looked, and there was nobody around me, uh, but I looked down at my phone, uh, and, and I learned a valuable lesson. Do not look down at your phone. And I don't remember if I was sending a text or checking social media. It was, I'm sure it was something that needed to happen right then. Uh, maybe I was looking up Careless Whisper. Uh, but I remember looking at my phone, and all of a sudden, feeling the gentle nudge of the curb on the side of the road telling me that I had drifted. And then I jerked back real quick, and my heart was pounding. And of course, my first thought was, why, oh Lord? 
And then, and then I gave myself the pep talk of how, like the Chris Farley thing of how dumb that was and how stupid, stupid, why do you, ah, I'm never doing this again, right? And uh, teenagers don't, don't do that, all right? If you're driving, it's, I know, I mean, when you drive past people and they're all looking at their phones, uh, we, we hear this concept of blessing and curse. We hear this, uh, again, Joel covered last week, these chapters of God saying, here's the curses, here's the blessings, here's more curses. And it's disobedience and obedience, life and death. And we can go into what I call, uh, and have heard called, magical thinking. We go into magical thinking, which is kind of the A plus B equals C. And sometimes we're tempted to think about our relationship with God in the way that we think about our relationship with our phone. If I do this, God will do this. In fact, God is obligated to do this. Um, and that's kind of on the good side. On the good side, it, it, we, if you're obedient, if you do your quiet times, if you don't cuss, if you're basically a good person, fill in the blank of, of the things that you're supposed to do, then God will give you a good life. And what's important to know is this is not how it works. Um, and it's actually not even really what's being promised here. There are blessings that God gives that are intrinsically good. In fact, a lot of them we take for granted in our day. Back in this day, if you read some of the blessings that you should, uh, that of, of the ways that you should live, they were just not common. But there are things that are intrinsically good. There are relationship pieces that are intrinsically good about not... Uh, uh, about not envying your neighbor, about not lying. Those things are intrinsically good. There is reward to be had for the just and the unjust, for the saved and the unsaved in doing these things well. Same with the curses. Again, if you look through some of the curses, a, good, a fun practice to do is reading through some of the curses in Deuteronomy and going, somebody did that where they had to write that down. Right? Somebody is the cause of a warning label in these things. Um, but there are ways when we don't do those things, and those are naturally bad. And this is the way that God designed the world to work, and the way relationships work, and the way we work. Um, and so some of that in the blessing is not just the A plus B equals C. Some of it is intrinsic in keeping with the way God designed the world to be. Another way to see this is the negative way. Um, where all we see are the bad things, and then we blame God for them. For them. Uh, kind of the, I can't believe all the bad things that happen in the world, while potentially neglecting a sun rising every morning. The fact that you breathe in and out all day with not even remotely thinking about it. The fact that anybody lives, right? Um, I've had young kids, and the fact that they survived uh, their childhood is amazing to me. Um, that, that there is beauty to be had. There's music. Sometimes we have uh, what I call the um, George Costanza theology from Seinfeld, where he's going to, it's right before they, they are going to do the pilot and they think they're going to be successful and get the show on NBC, and he's talking to his therapist, and, and he said, God, is, this is not going to go well. God is never going to let me be successful. And the therapist says, well, I thought you didn't believe in God. And he said, well, I do for the bad stuff. Right? Here's the deal. Our relationship with God is not transactional. It's not designed to be transactional. 
that I do this so that you do this. In fact, that's how all of the other gods in the ancient world worked. And the God of Israel is distinct from that. It is not the same way. Moses stands before the people, the culmination of this entire set of sermons that he's delivered, and he gives it to them as straightforward as possible. God has set before us life and death. And as you enter the land that God swore to your forefathers, obedience will bring life. Not free from struggle. There will still be enemies that come up against them. You will still have to trust. You'll still have to fight against not doing these things to try to manipulate God. But he will bring life. But if you turn away and start worshiping the other gods, it will lead to the same destruction that the nations are about to face that you're going into the land against. And again, we've brought this out several times. The God is making a covenant with his people, which is highly unusual. Gods did not make covenants with people in this day. Um, he is making a covenant with this people. Uh, when nations would enter into covenants with other nations, they would have a treaty and they would bring their divinities to stand as witnesses to those. And God here uh, brings heaven and earth to stand as witnesses of the covenant being made that he will be their God and they will be his people. And it's pretty straightforward. But there is a little bit of intrigue. So if you go back and read chapter 29, and I would encourage you as we're going through these to read, uh, read along. Go through and read. And if you have questions, which if you're reading through Deuteronomy, you should. You should have a lot of them. Uh, but you go back to 29 verse 16, and Moses kind of gives a, a foreshadow of what's about to happen here before he makes this, this declaration. He says, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed? And you have seen the detestable things that, their nation, that the nations did, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous bitter fruit. And what Moses is going, on, going to go to do, he's going to predict or prophesy that Israel is in fact going to get into the land and they will indeed go on to disobey and forget God and worship lesser gods. So Moses hands the torch to Joshua. And after Joshua dies, we have the judges. And if you have ever heard something questionable about the Bible, and you've ever, said, you've ever heard something, you're like, oh my goodness, that's in the Bible? Chances are really good it happens in the book of Judges. It is God's people gone wild. They totally disobey. This is one generation away from this speech that Moses is giving. And Judges is just crazy. It's crazy. And um, they do idolatry, uh, and they sacrifice children, and like there are some really bad things that happen in the book of Judges. It is not suitable for little ears. Um, and, and this happens within a generation of Moses giving this speech. Don't forget, don't forget. And they do. And eventually God's judgment does come against Israel. They are faced with being attacked by Babylon. But then Babylon's going to leave them alone. God says, don't make a treaty with, foreign, with, with any other nation. I will stand. And Babylon is actually going to leave them alone. But what does Israel do? They go and they make a treaty with Egypt. 
And when you step back and read the whole, like just kind of take it all in, the one nation that Israel should not make a treaty with is Egypt. And so they make a treaty with Egypt. And then Babylon's like, ah, making a treaty with Egypt. We better go in and take care of business. And so they don't trust God. They make a treaty with Egypt. Babylon comes in and, and wipes them out. Babylon, the very people who symbolize hearts turned against God, God uses to bring judgment against his own people after rebellion after rebellion. But even there, the story doesn't end. Moses has a hope for the people of God that when they have been driven into exile, maybe there, maybe it's there that God will finally once again get their attention. That he will gather them from among the nations. Deuteronomy 32 through 5, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul. And then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Even after all this disobedience, Moses says, even then, God will still redeem you and rescue you. Um, full confession. We can, we can very much run the danger of being, just getting too used to hearing this. Um, I remember sitting down with someone in, in counseling with them, and they were basically telling me, I am going to rebel. And I was like, we both hear this, right? <laughs> like, we, you know this isn't a good idea. Um, and what they said to me was, I know God will be there when I come back. And what I said to them was, it's not God that I'm worried about. I agree. He will be there. That's not, that's not the party I'm worried about. We've become used to this. Uh, and our default ways of thinking about God, again, are, this is usually how the other ancient gods worked. I do these things so that the gods will give you stuff or they won't be angry or... Um, they'll give you favor or they will make the produce be abundant or whatever. Moses recounts over and over again about 7,598 times. That's an exaggeration. I don't know how many times he does it. All the things that God has done. And when God gives the law, he recounts that God has already delivered them, already saved them, and then gives the law so that we don't go, ah, this is so unfair. I want to do what I want. And then here Moses recalls, he recalls for his people what they will do. So he is telling them they're in the future, even after their rebellion, over and over and over again, and God is remarkably patient in the Hebrew Scriptures, that this God is not like other gods. This is not just, this is not God coming to his people and saying, just do what I say. I'm in charge. 
That's not the nature of this relationship. It's not transactional. We put this whole story together. We have the reminders over and over again of what God has done, the warnings of what will happen when we turn our back on Him, all of the grace that He has already poured out for His people, who have already turned away from Him. This can't be a God that reflects the normal ways we default to when we think about God. This can't be a God. Hear me. This can't be a God that takes good people to heaven and sends bad people to hell. That's, that's nowhere in here. This can't be a God who is just out to make your life miserable and, a, and just the cosmic killjoy. Why does God have to outlaw all the fun stuff? This, this can't be that. This can't be a God who can be manipulated by our religious good works that if we do the right things and don't do the wrong things, then He owes me an easy life. Right? It just doesn't flow with the story, but it is our default way of thinking. I'll, well, I'll confess, it's my default way of thinking. I would venture to say I'm not alone, but I'll own that. The blessing of God, when we talk about His blessings and His curses, the blessing of God is not necessarily stuff, and it's not necessarily Him fixing all of our problems. The blessing of God is His presence, that He will be with His people, that He will never leave nor forsake His people. And the call to God's people is to remember often not to never mess up. There's provision for when they mess up. But do not turn away to the lesser gods. Remember often, even when you mess up, I am your God and you are my people. And again, it's not, this is not the call to obey it is not a threat. It's a call to trust him. And his trust is not based on because I said so. His trust is based on all that he has already done and accomplished on behalf of his people. For the follower of Jesus, what God does for Israel, he goes and pursues them in their exile, in their rebellion, when they are hurt and wounded, and he brings them back to himself. The great promise of God's love, Moses says in, in chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and, uh, so that you may live. Paul says in Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is what Christ has accomplished for us. Those who turn to him and trust him with humble hearts, Christ completely fulfilled the law on our behalf. He has put in us a new heart that is able to love God and trust God, obey his commands, not we do not obey so that we can be accepted. 
we obey because we, in Christ we already are accepted. And here again, this is not simply so that we can go to heaven when we die, but so that we can actually be in a relationship that's not transactional, that's not I do this so that you do this, but actually a covenant relationship with God now and bear witness to His goodness and His grace and His love and His good commands of the way He designed us to be and the way He designed us to live in the world and to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love God takes practice. It takes practice. It is, I think sometimes we think, oh, and they, right, you hear the, and the happily ever after. Turn and love God, and then that's it. That's the end of the story. It takes practice. Uh, parents who dedicated their children this morning, parenting takes practice. Let me set you free. If you're worried about you blowing it totally as a parent, you will. All right? Parenting, loving your children takes practice. Any, right? Okay, anybody that has kids? Uh, yeah, it takes practice. Loving somebody else takes practice. Loving God takes practice. It takes practice to meditate on His law day and night, not as a list of rules of just do these and don't do these, but of actually knowing God and His character and who He is, what He delights in, how He created us. It takes practice delighting in God in relationship, not as transactional technology, but remembering God is not just a phone where we push certain buttons and we get what we want or deserve, or that God is just out as older technology that's just there to frustrate us by how slow He goes and and all this, that he is, he is to be loved and known. That we trust him when our impulse tells us to chase after lesser things. Money or status or new technology or a new relationship. And thinking over and over again, this is what will make me happy. We're on iPhone, what, 14 now? That is going to be the one that makes me happy. In four years when I finally get that one and we're on iPhone 18. Then, right, to believe that God's greatest blessing is his presence and that is here now. It takes practice to turn stuff down to say no. It, take pra it takes practice to learn how to love other people. Sometimes it takes practice to learn how to love other people that are different from you. Um, in our marriage, we are totally opposite. And it is, it's taking my wife a lot of practice to learn how to love me. And it takes practice to learn how to love people who are not only different, but actually maybe even against us, maybe even people that have hurt us. To forgive as Christ has forgiven, which actually to do that releases other people to stand before God in judgment for their own hearts and releases us from the position of being God and standing in judgment over others. Sometimes it takes practice to believe that you are loved by God that you're not just a list of all your failures and all of your should-bes. That God actually delights in you. That you're not your mistakes being taken down in a journal somewhere to be presented before the Holy of Holies when you stand one day in glorious judgment and God pulls out the list of, all right, let's go through all the ways you failed. That, you, that God actually delights in you and loves you. It takes practice to commit to community. 
takes practice to show up here on Sundays, to show up to a small group, to show up in other people's lives, to let them speak into your lives when maybe you think they speak a little too much into your life. It takes practice to not get defensive or, or, or offended every time somebody, wants, you know, a trusted person wants to tell you something hard. It takes practice to love somebody more than or as much as ourselves and to be for their good. It takes practice resisting urges and temptation, knowing that they will not deliver what they promise, but God alone is the fulfillment of that. It takes practice to give generously, especially when we have been told and are told over and over and over again that money is what provides our security. It takes practice to trust when we're tempted to turn away. It takes practice to repent when we've disobeyed instead of trying to self-justify or hide or pretend it never happened or double down and overcompensate. I will never do this again, at least this week. And it takes practice to repent and own that and be honest before God and even others. What I did was wrong. Please forgive me. And it takes practice to receive forgiveness. That may be the hardest one in our day. It takes practice to for receive forgiveness and believe that what Christ has accomplished is not a second chance. You could have a billion chances. Look at the story of Israel. We, that, we are they. It's not a uh, second chance that as long as you stop screwing up, everything will be fine but actual grace and forgiveness that begins to seep into every part of our life and starts to tell a new story, a new creation. Love takes practice. So as Moses stands here on the precipice of the promised land, giving this one last speech to his people, I present before you today life and death. The invitation for God's people is the invitation for us. It's not an invitation to try to figure out the code to manipulate God to do what we want. It's, God des it's God's desire. There are curses here. But my want, my longing for you to enter into this land, to trust me and believe me that I will provide as I already have, that there is life. Trust me. And just like Israel needed, the promise continues to come over and over and over. And as the Holy Spirit works in us and we practice, we begin, this begins to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. So here's your practice for this week, other than just do all those things, right? Practice loving, um, practice repenting, practice needing forgiveness, granting forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, all of those things. But what I want to do as we close... Um, this morning, uh, throughout October, one of the things we went to, through uh, was uh, Psalm 1 together. So I, wanna, I want to encourage you or challenge you or give you the practice for this week to take at least one day, whether you wake up in the morning or whether it's before, right before you go to sleep. If you want to be, be audacious and do it multiple days, blessings be upon you, all right? Take one day, read through Psalm 1. Not, and, and the, the blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, not as a list of rules of do's and don'ts, not simply as a list of do's and don'ts, 
meditate on the character of God as he has designed us to be, as he's designed the world to be. Ask God to help you trust him, know him. Um, So read at least once uh, Psalm 1. And if you want to get daring, read it more than once and maybe even write down some of the promises of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you have loved even me. And I need forgiveness on how often I default to a rewards-based system that if I do the right things, then things will go well, and if I do the wrong things, things will not go well. Instead of a relationship where I can simply enjoy being in your presence, where I can do the right things not to try to earn favor, but because my heart has been changed and I actually delight in you. And when I do the wrong things, that you take away the fear of retribution where I can actually come to you in repentance, which is the heartbeat of the good news of the gospel. That I don't have to cover it up, that I don't have to re-overdo it and try to make up for it, that I am loved. Pray that you would make yourself known to our hearts and our minds. Maybe people that are here this morning that have had enough of religion or Uh, wherever it may be, or people who are living lives thinking, I do all the right stuff, and the problem is those people. The call is to love and enjoy and bask in your goodness and then respond in obedience. So whatever it takes to get that through to our hearts and minds, I ask that you do it. In Jesus' name, amen. building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.